And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, musicians. There is far too much to say about this interesting text for one sermon, even one of Russ's sermons. So before I try to make just one point today, let me name a few issues of intrigue in the text. First, we could talk about the Apostle Paul's motivation. The text says, because Paul was very much annoyed, he exercised the demon. Now, you should know by now that I take Scripture very seriously, that I love the Bible, but I no longer read it as I once did, as an almost magical text. In a former way of reading, there were no conflicts in the text, and all the characters were above repute, motives were never questioned, all the stories were bathed in a kind of pristine sacredness. So I would never have ever even hinted at impugning the character of St. Paul. But Paul, the text says he healed the girl because he was greatly annoyed. Paul, what does that mean? I have no idea. I don't know what that means, but I'm glad I can now read Scripture with a little bit of humor, being a little bit playful and considering a host of angles. I don't know if this means Paul would not have healed the girl just out of the goodness of his heart, or if he had only met her one time and she hadn't had a long enough time to get on his nerves. But I do know that some people who need our healing are, just to put it bluntly, annoying. Very annoying. As Amy has reminded you many times, following Jesus can be a pain in the neck. Take Mary, for example. Mary, who lived this past week in her wreck of a car in our back parking lot. It took us most of the week to piece together the story, but Friday a week ago, Mary had her broken down car with no license plate towed to our back lot where it was dropped there. It became her home for the week. Each morning, a cab arrived. The cabbie knew Mary by name, and he would bring a towel so her soiled dress would not stain his seats. And he loaded her chair and her walker and her bags of stuff. And Mary paid him with that big wad of cash that she kept rolled up in her coat pocket. And the cabbie knew where to take Mary, presumably to a chosen spot where she could panhandle for the day. And then he knew to bring her back at day's end to her house in the parking lot of a church. Now this might sound harmless enough. You know, if not for the recent racist massacre in Buffalo and the second most deadly elementary school shooting in the nation's history, but the parents of the toddlers and preschoolers in our child development center are a little on edge. And a strange woman loitering not too far from the daycare entrance causes a little more anxiety. Every morning this week, our CDC director, director texted me, Mary, she's still there. Our parents are nervous. Mary, in a word, was annoying. And that's one thing that this text means for me. One way the scripture speaks to me today. Yes, Paul, we understand. Helping people who are possessed, trying to help and to heal, we get it. It's very annoying. So there's that point. 
then we could take issue with imperialism at play in the plot, with the world's greatest superpower, Rome, influencing all the action that we read. Inequity and inequality, violence and the violence of coercion at play throughout this story. And we could note the contemporary implications if we were so willing to note the ways and the places that inequity and inequality violence and the violence of coercion might still be at work among us. Paul and Silas, for example, were treated as outsiders, unwelcome foreigners. They had come onto the Philippian shore from the southern border. And you could note how they were treated with disdain until the authorities realized they had citizenship. And then you could note that though they were still Paul and Silas, their motives had not changed, their actions had not changed, they had not changed, but they were treated completely differently just because they had a piece of paper with their name on it. So there's that point. We could note the response of the Philippians, recognizing that anti-Semitism has a long and disturbing history. Now we may think of Paul as Christian, maybe the first Christian, but he did not. Paul's travel took him to synagogues throughout the Mediterranean world, and the churches he started were Jewish. He just believed Jesus was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. So we think of Paul as doing Christian missions, but that's really a bit of an, an anachronism. We read that back on to the story. The trouble Paul faced was because the Jews were causing trouble. Not obeying our laws, they said. It was their Jewishness. So there's that point. And we could note the power and the importance of music, as Amy has told you. Especially religious music for those who are enslaved, incarcerated, bound physically or emotionally or spiritually. The power of music to give freedom to the captive is not to be denied. This day we have been set free by beautiful music. So there's that point. And we could talk about money. Now, preachers rarely get in trouble for theology, for preaching Jesus, or Muhammad, or Buddha, or Krishna, or for that matter. But let them talk about money. And, well, Paul and Silas aren't the only preachers who have found themselves in the stocks. I've told you before about the Brazilian Archbishop Dom Helder Camara, who famously said, if I feed the poor, they call me a saint. If I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist. It's why our Cuban pastor told us that every Cuban church has a Communist Party spy in the congregation. Preachers don't need to get out of line and preach too much about freedom. Don't need to be too critical about the system. You know, people get too excited and you might ignite a rebellion. It's why preaching social justice will get you accused of being anti-American or anti-capitalist or just plain socialist. I know, I've been there. But how are we to feed the poor and lift the fallen to care for the least of these, as Jesus demanded, without impacting the social and economic systems that keep so many people unable even to help themselves? 
But let me not go to meddling this morning. That's not my point. But that point could be made. There's all of that. But what I want to say this morning is to note that this story really has no ending. The story of this slave girl, no ending. As it's often told, it's a miracle story. The power of God through Paul frees this girl from her demon possession. Hallelujah. If you dig a little deeper, you learn that the author Luke, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, Luke referred to this as a Pythian spirit or the spirit of Pytho. In Greek mythology, the female goddess Pytho inhabited the shrine at Delphi, and she was overcome by the male god Apollo, who took her spirit. And Luke connects this girl with the Pneuma Pythona, it says in the Greek. Pneuma Pythona, the Python spirit. Well, from there, association with the satanic is obvious enough. So as it is commonly taught, the miracle here is that Paul freed this poor girl from her demon possession. Praise the power of God. But then what? What else did Paul do for her? And was she better off if we think carefully about her freedom he had given her? Or worse off? because she now offered no economic benefit to her slave owners. Why did Paul and Silas not complete the healing? Why did they not buy her freedom from her owners? Why did they not take her with them to the home of Lydia, that seller of purple, a woman of standing in her community, a woman who might have mentored and guided a poor young girl who had never been given any opportunity. We just don't know. The ending is not told. The girl's ending, well, we can only imagine what it might have been. So this story without an ending rather than a simple celebration of the power of healing is, I think, a deeply troubling story that leaves us only with questions and a word of caution. What are we doing to help the poor? What are we doing to heal the possessed? What are we doing to free those who are bound? Are our deeds truly liberating? Do we stay long enough to finish the story. We need to be careful about how we give. Now, we need to give. We do need to help. There's no reason to be people of faith otherwise. But if we are not thoughtful, our help may only be window dressing. It might even make the problems worse. Charity assuages the guilty conscience and feeds the religious narrative of comfortable Christians, but change is needed. Systemic change, not charity, if we want to finish the story. A deeper systemic change will be required to really address the problems of the least of these. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul spoke of principalities and powers he was not speaking of Satan, a python spirit. He was talking about much bigger demons. 
systems, structures, narratives that feed the status quo, keeping the poor poor, the rich comfortable, and the religious mostly unaware. What's the ending of the story of a demon-possessed girl? What's the ending to Mary's story? What's the ending to the spirit of Python that is dividing and binding this country in hatred and misunderstanding? What's the ending to your story? What in you needs to be free? May God give us the courage to write those endings, not happily ever after, but realistic, holistic, that all may know the goodness which God intends for all people. May it be so. Amen.